For the Catholic laity, the new evangelization isn't a program to be launched, it's a life to be lived at home, at work, and in our communities. Join us today as we talk about how to live that life of evangelical witness with Curtis Martin, founder and president of the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Franciscan University presents. Today we're going to be talking about living the life of faith, the new evangelization. Uh, my name is Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. I'm joined here in our studios with our regular panelist, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and Dr. Scott Hahn, uh, the uh, Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization here at Franciscan University in Steubenville. And our distinguished guest today is Curtis Martin. Curtis you founded and are the president of FOCUS, uh, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. In 2011, uh, Pope Benedict, now Pope Emeritus, uh, appointed you to be a consultor to the uh, Pontifical Council on the New Evangelization, which is very exciting. Um, and you're an author of uh, a number of books. Uh, many are, I'm missing the numbers here, uh, Made for More. Uh, you had a, an earlier book, uh, Reasons Catholic for a reason that I was able to work on with Scott. Right. That's right. And, others. and now a co-author of a new book, uh, The Real Story, Understanding the Big Picture of the Bible. Right. So, well, Another Focus alum, Ted Sri and I were able to write that together. Excellent. Excellent. Well, welcome to the program. It's so exciting to have you here. It was great to have you um, uh, speaking to the students here on campus uh, as well last night. Uh, you're also, as a uh, MA graduate here from the university, we were just reminiscing before we started about your days back then. Absolutely. We, we won't mention how long ago that was. It was uh, a while ago. It was a while <laughs> ago. <laughs> Well, we're talking about evangelization, and uh, when, when we hear the call for the evangelization, there's a particular uh, message for the laity uh, that I think really we're, we're hearing echoed. I mean, people are talking about Pope John Paul II talked about the new evangelization, Pope Benedict continued that, and obviously now with uh, uh, Pope Francis. When we're talking about this, what does it mean for the laity in their call for evangelization? It's an exciting time, I think, in the church to realize that in inner wisdom, the church is calling us to remember something that the early Christians knew, and at every great moment in, in the Catholic history we've known, and that is that Christ is not calling just a, a, a few a, a select to be the saints, but he's calling everyone to come to encounter Jesus Christ in a personal way, in such a radical way that their lives are forever changed. Like St. Peter, you drop the nets and live differently after you've encountered him. And that's true for all of us. And then a second realization, and that is that in a, in a very real way, the laity are perfectly positioned as evangelists because we are the ones who live in neighborhoods. We work in workplaces where people who don't know the Lord, in fact, we sometimes live in homes where people don't know the Lord and go to parishes where people don't know the Lord. We're the ones rubbing shoulder to shoulder with people who themselves need to encounter Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so as, as lay people, we need to take up our role, become who we're meant to be. And as we do, the church gets holy and we become uh, healthy and the world is renewed and restored. 
I think that's very exciting to hear. I mean, all of us as Catholics by our baptism are called to evangelization. But sometimes we do think about, oh, these are just the professionals out there, the, the, the people who are full-time evangelists or scholars, uh, uh, professors, and so forth, or the priests and religious. But really, it is a call for the laity. And, and, and I like the fact that you're saying that because we're actually we're places other people can't be, that we have a unique Absolutely. opportunity with that. You know, if there's one area that we have to really focus on as lay people in the world, it's friendship. Mm. Uh, you know, as you think back to the different situations you had in employment, you know, working, the fact is most of our co-workers didn't grow up in strong Catholic families. They don't belong to strong Catholic parishes. And if they do, they don't go to mass, that sort of thing. And so we have to recognize that these people that we rub shoulders with, have lunch with, you know, work on projects with, they don't have uh, access to priests. They don't have access to Bible studies. We're the only access they have for encountering Jesus Christ. Mm. And once we wake up and realize that, we'll realize why God put us in their lives and in their work situations and neighborhoods and that sort of thing and realize this is a kind of lifeline situation where they depend upon us to figure out ways to communicate the truth of the gospel so that they can have a personal encounter with Christ. Um, Curtis, I, I suspect that this is not a part-time job. <laughs> this is 24-7. It is 24-7 for all of us, and that's the beautiful right. thing. Yeah. To sit back and say, as, as Scott said, there's a, a principle that Cardinal Ratzinger highlighted in 2000. He said there's a principle of the mustard seed. We have to go back and become small. And before right. the church was an institution, it, it was a man, a God-man, Jesus, yep. who entered into a relationship. He right. came down and befriended 12 men. And in the midst of that friendship, he modeled what the church should be in its essence at the core. And that is a group of people who are in friendship, dynamic, intimate friendship with the living God. And that's, that's lived in friendship with one another. And as we do, right. as we live yep. that, the church then becomes at a cellular level what it ought to be. Yep. And that's all of our life. One of the challenges mm. we had, one of the conflicts we had at the Synod for Bishops, there were a group of people, wonderful people who were catechists and they said, well, we need some certification for evangelization. And I said, no, no, right. our certification right. is our baptism. Yeah. Yeah. When we're baptized and confirmed, there's nothing else we need. And to put another layer between us and sharing the good news, you know, imagine if we had done that to the woman at the well in John's Gospel, right, right, you know, yeah. Samaritan woman who had encountered Christ, and she wants to go back and tell her neighbors, well, no, we have to put you through a certification class first. <laughs> no, you create a whole new set of excuses for people. That's right. Not or, to evangelize. Or, 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 need extra excuses. <laughs> or, you know, you think of Philip who walks the Ethiopian through the book of Isaiah and then baptizes this bloke. Uh, if he said, look, I'm not qualified, I'm not a priest, uh, so I can't do this, uh, that would be pretty off-putting, and we would have lost the Ethiopian. Right, uh, and yeah. those are the models that we want to have, to know our story, the biblical story of salvation history so well. I'm struck by Philip's example, because it's beginning with that passage in Isaiah, he preached Christ to him, right. and the result was the, the eunuch said, well, there's some water, right. what would keep you from being baptized? Right. I'd right. like to learn how to preach the gospel that well, right. starting right. from Isaiah, right. to lead somebody to baptism. Yeah. Well, why do you think in this particular time in history, in this culture, is it really essential that laity take up this call? Why is it essential, particularly now? I think the church, members of the church, we're suffering from what I would like to call spiritual Alzheimer's. Mm. We don't know who we are. We don't know why we're here. And if you live in that condition long enough, it will kill you. And it is killing us. It's killing the church. It's killing the culture. So to remember who we are is the, is the fundamental act of what it means to be a Christian. In fact, at the heart of our worship, we do this in remembrance of the Lord. Uh, and, and to be able to recognize who we are and why we're here, all of a sudden now we're back on mission. So in a certain sense, mm. the urgency is we're in the midst of a cultural battle and the, the culture of death is winning <laughs> and it ought not to. This is a, a victory that is easy for us to obtain if we are who we're meant to be. 
Well, but it is a yeah. reawakening of who we are. Once we become what we're meant to be, as St. Catherine said, we'll set the world on fire. But we need yeah. to become who we're meant to be. That's, That's a pretty right. severe diagnosis, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> spiritual Alzheimer's. But I mean, there is a sense in which we have uh, a dementia, a kind of spiritual and cultural dementia, because on the one hand, if you don't know the gospel well enough to share it, you're not going to really feel at home being called to evangelize. That's right. On the other hand, if you're looking at a culture that has dramatically changed and seismic shifts in 15 or 20 years, so that because you're a Catholic, even if you don't know the gospel, you're an Islamophobe, you're a homophobe, you know, and all of a sudden you're like between, betwixt and between. I'm not really at home with the gospel to share it, and I'm not home anymore in the culture. This is why I think it's more important than ever that we equip lay people. Again, certification has a place, of course. but you cannot see that as the indispensable license right. without right. which you can't right. do it. You know, you know I, I think that diagnosis, uh, while it's depressing, uh, is spot on. It's it prophetic even, Alzheimer's. Mm. And, and I, I think of Solzhenitsyn, uh, who performed a prophetic office for the Russian people, and his task, as he understood it, was to somehow restore a memory that had been amputated by 70 years of, of Soviet communism. I mean, I, I don't know that Alzheimer's, however, is something you recover from. I mean, that Not without a miracle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> something Solzhen divine has to intervene. Absolutely. Solzhenitsyn re recalled how, when he was young, he would hear people talking about, how could this have happened to Russia, Mother yeah. Russia? And the one line that stuck with him was, men have forgotten God. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's and right. boy, have we forgotten God. And so our culture has really, really missed out in a lot of that. Yeah. That's why it's essential that we do it. So, so how do we do it? You know, we, we, we hear you've got a witness in, in word and deed. What are those sorts of things? What do we need to do as an evangelist? I think so much of the example is, again, right back in the Gospels in the book of Acts, and you see I, Paul such a wonderful example. He, he encounters Christ on the road to Damascus. Twice later in the book of Acts, he's essentially put on trial, and they say, why are you doing these crazy things? Yeah. And he goes right back to the beginning. I was on the road to Damascus, and I right. encountered Christ. Yeah. It is that personal encounter with Christ and, and who, who wants to meet each of us personally, mm. and to be able to encounter him in such a way that we change. When John describes this <clears throat> in John chapter 1, he tells us this throwaway line. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Right. Yeah. Who cares what time it was? Right. No, you don't understand. At 4 o'clock in the afternoon, my life was forever changed. Right, yeah. And many Catholics have never had a 4 o'clock moment to sit back and say, yes, I've met the Lord, and say, oh, yeah, I know, I know who he is. No, 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 no. It's not knowing who he is. I need to know yeah. him. No, I mean, at 4, that's generally when people reach for their second drink. <laughs> <laughs> I've had it. Spoken like a true professor. <laughs> <laughs> well, much sooner, I think, yeah. uh, for us. But so, so in sharing the gospel, it's essential for us to first have that own, our own encounter with Christ, is what you're saying. Yeah, I would say you would first encounter Christ, and then evangelization is, re, is recounting the right. encounter. This is what's happened mm. to me. So I know my story, what God has done in my life, and I know his story. I know salvation history. Those two great stories are meta-narratives that make sense out of all right, of life. Right. And it pierces relativism because mm -hmm. you can't argue with my story. That's right. You know, That's you can, right. I, I can make objective claims and you can sit back, well, I don't right. believe in objective yeah. reality. But I'm telling you what happened in my life. That's right. And as you share that, you overcome and find the Trojan horse into the, the, the dictatorship of relativism, which is I can still share from personal experience. This is the genius of Augustine, of anybody who was a saint at a time when Christianity wasn't strong, but mm -hmm. becoming strong. Right. Those are our models for evangelism. It, I think it's really helpful if we remind people that they've already had their Damascus moment. It's called baptism, even mm. if they were blessedly unaware of it. Uh, I mean, Pope Benedict spoke of baptism as uh, the final mutation uh, in the evolution 
of the human species. If, if you understood what that meant, you would light the world on fire. That's right. That's pretty transformative. But that's the point. You, so many people, in fact, all of us, don't understand what it means. Right. That's right. And that's why conversion has to be ongoing. It has they to have to be reinforced daily. Yeah, because baptism is when we die in Christ right. and rise in the power yeah. of the Holy Spirit. But I mean, what infant knows that? What adult right. really understands it? Right. We're coming to a deeper understanding of it. And I think in the process, you know, we, we have something to share. On the one hand, we have to share our experience of a homecoming, that we are in the family of God. We're children of God. You know, the Father has called us through the Son into this family by the power of the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, Ralph Martin, you know, your, your co-worker there in Rome at the Synod, reminds us that we're also called out of hell. You know, we're called out of sin and judgment. And even if that's unpopular, and even if we don't want to major on the minor key, nevertheless, it's important to remember that because that way we're going to wake up in the morning and really fight sin. But we're also going to wake up in the morning and, and present the gospel in a fearless way if we really love other people and don't want them there. Right. No, and to recognize as the book of Revelation begins, there's a moment when the clouds are going to peel back and He's going to come in glory. And it's going to be absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's going to happen for everyone. There'll be nobody saying, well, I'm not Catholic, so this isn't affecting me. No, this is reality. Right. And we have to prepare for that. And I think for us, the challenge as we re-evangelize Catholics, we're a bit like prince and princesses who were raised in a castle and have no idea how great we have it. Mm -hmm. And to be able to sit back and say, we have to recover the awareness of how amazing it is, like the prodigal son who walked away for a while and then came back saying, I will live here as a servant if I right. could, right. but we're welcome yeah. back as sons and daughters. Right, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I think part of this is also getting off the defensive. You know, I, I love the, the scene in the book of Acts where, where Peter is put on trial. And, you know, he's just healed a man in the temple precincts and then went on to preach a sermon without a license in the temple, you know. <laughs> And he basically says to the Sanhedrin, if we're on trial here because of a good deed done to a cripple, you know, yeah. what kind of offense is that? What law did I break? But, you know, he, he turns the tables. Instead of getting defensive and defending himself, he basically says that the author of life was put to death by you all. Right. And then he calls them to repentance. Yeah. And I think we find ourselves in our culture today always on the defensive. Oh, yeah. And if we get to that moment of a, of a special grace where we overcome our fear, we're going to look at them and say, this might be the one chance we have to share with them their need and their opportunity. And that's what Peter saw, and that's the opportunity that he seized. And, and I think we're going to have those too. And I think it's a beautiful opportunity to say, look, this is life. And, and, and last night in the talk, you talked about how we, we went to a great restaurant, right? Yeah. You, you, you share that analogy, because I think it, it helps both in realizing this is people's eternal salvation that's in the what, balance. Did this happened in Steubenville? No, but you think about this. People are, are Catholics, as we talk to them for now over a decade about evangelization, and think, well, I, if I could go to a workshop, or I could read a book, or a study guide, or something, I could be trained. Then maybe then I could be an evangelist. Yeah. And so the point is that I try to make is imagine going to a great restaurant, and then you came back from the restaurant and you sit back and say, I'm good friends with Mike. And you think to yourself, gosh, if I just could go to a workshop on how to share good news about restaurants, I could tell Mike right. about this. No, you would just tell Mike about the restaurant. Right. Yeah. Workshops can make you better. Certification can help. But it's the experience of good news yeah. that's organically shared in the midst of friendship. That is evangelization right. at its core. Yeah. And what we have to realize is that one of the fundamental reasons Catholics don't evangelize is because we don't experience our faith as good yeah. news. Right. That's the key. That's right. I mean, nobody thinks you're weird at the water cooler at 10 a.m., you know, when you're taking a break and you all of a sudden share about the restaurant you went to on Friday night or the movie you saw on Saturday or the good book that you just finished on Sunday. That's what friends do. They share what they enjoy. And so if we come to the point where we begin to enjoy the faith, 
we're going to turn around and share that the same way and enjoy the I movie. I mean, it, it's finally not a concept about the cuisine. It's right. the cuisine. Yeah. You right. take yeah. them out yeah. for dinner that's and, right. and say, taste Bite this, them to the try meat. it. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how they cook it, but it sure tastes good. <laughs> yeah. you know? That's right. That's right. Give it a shot. This is, this is exciting. Uh, we want to stay, uh, stay with us in the next part as we talk about evangelizing in the home. Stay with us and Franciscan University Presents. If you really live the faith and if you want your children to be able to take the faith as their own, they have to understand it. And how do they understand it? You have to make it alive. You have to make it something that is of interest. Obviously not changing the content of the faith, but applying it in a way that is very comprehensive and comprehensible for kids. My father is a converted Catholic. He comes from a Methodist background and so very often I find um, my, my, my aunts from that side of my family, they'll, they'll ask me questions and, and I'll, I'll answer them but not with the intent of like you're wrong about this, I'm right about this, but just here's, this is the Catholic perspective. And I always keep that mind of, of love and not, not no judgment, just, just loving them. I'm Dan McNally. I'm a theology major here at Franciscan University. I love studying theology. It's my passion. But, I mean, I love learning, too. You walk out of the classrooms, you want to know more. You don't want the lecture to end. So, I mean, that's the really great thing about being a part of a student body is you can continue to discuss outside. It's not just studying to, to make a grade. It's, it's learning to, you know, improve yourself. And not just through your own personal prayer or your own personal study, but through community, because that's what we're made for. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking about the new evangelization and our call to a, a whole witness of our life. Uh, we're talking here with Curtis Martin, uh, president and founder of Focus. Uh, you're an evangelist, you're an author. We've been talking about kind of the role of the laity, the essential role of the laity. Um, and obviously for, for many of us that, that begins in the home. Why, why does evangelization begin at home? That's where we spend our lives, right? right? It's yeah. the people we love most or closest to us. And I would say this, our hope in working with Focus is that we would be able to be an instrument in God's hands so that a college student would have such a profound encounter with Jesus Christ that their life would be forever transformed. They'd be on a path of ongoing transformation in Christ so that when they graduate, they were able to be an instrument of transformation for their family, for their parish, and for their workplace. And so that first place is actually inside of me, inside of us, but from there I'm going into my family. And unfortunately because of the breakdown of culture and the uh, crisis of faith, uh, family is not a place where we find an oasis of faith. It is in fact a place where we find ourselves in a deep desert. Most people have loved ones, even immediate family members, who maybe not only are, have drifted away from the church, but have become hostile to the faith. And so there's a, a, a real heartache. And in some ways, I think it's, a, it's God allowing us to develop the heart He wanted us to have all along. He said, look, I want you to love people. And we're like, oh yeah, we'll love people, but we're busy doing other stuff. And all of a sudden, as they leave, we realize, oh my goodness, I miss them. And He's yeah. saying, well, okay, now you love them. Yes. Now we have a problem we have to solve. We have to go get them. And it's a challenge to be able to evangelize in the home because they're the ones that have all the dirt on you, right? They, they, they know all of your bad habits. And right. uh, if, if there's any hypocrisy in your life, and there is hypocrisy in our lives, yeah. they, they see it. And so there's a reality of how do I love you in a meaningful so way. Is, is, it, is, it, is the evangelization then, then beginning in the home primarily just about loving the others, creating that environment, having faith as a part of the, the, the whole life we do, or what, what would you say? Uh, to me, the model of evangelization in the home is St. Monica and St. Augustine. Okay. And, and most people who don't know the story real well think, oh, well, St. Monica, I think she 
did something, she brought Augustine back, and she didn't. She prayed for him, she cried for him, she devoted herself to the Lord and to works of service and caring for others, and God raised up St. Ambrose who evangelized St. Augustine. Mm. And, and we have to recognize that some, in some situations we're called to be Monica and just cry and pray, and other times we're called to be Ambrose, and we need to be ready to articulate the faith because somebody is praying and crying for that person. That's right. And we need to be able to play either of those roles. Sometimes we play both roles, yeah. and that's fine. But frequently, we're not. Family members are not the ones who are going to lead somebody who has left and come back. That's right. And so we want to play both of those roles and be able to realize that Jesus gave us the the, the tools we need to evangelize, and we read it every Ash Wednesday. He said, "When you pray." And when you fast and when you give alms, do so secretly and privately, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Mm -hmm. If we want God to answer our prayers, He said, pray, fast, and give alms secretly, and God will then be in a place where He will choose to reward you. So that's how we yes. should primarily act. And then I think the second part is we need to live our faith not so much catechetically as joyfully. That's right. Do you want what I have? Is they it attractive? Know. Yeah, is it, is, is it attractive? And I think we've done a poor job yeah. as a church of rendering the faith attractive yes, to the world. Yes, yeah. yes. I think that's a powerful part in that, you know, there are people who are, are going to be listening to this conversation who are going to be at very different stages. Some who have children still in their home where they can, through their, their, uh, the culture of their family, through their own uh, public witness, if you will, um, can share that faith. But there's many who have you know, adult children who've gone on to college or other places, because I mean, college is no longer a safe place for your faith, uh, as you well know, and and that's that's a challenge for for grandparents and parents alike uh, when they look out and they see uh, the, the world, and even you're just looking around at our, our parishes. What's the percentage of, of Catholics who are actually going to mass on Sunday? There's a lot of work to be done, but if we we spread it out and we all look and say we can start with this, we can start with our home, we can start with our family. Uh, that's a great place to. I be. do think that the Catholic family in a healthy way is irreplaceable. I mean, yeah. you have to basically work with whatever cards you've been dealt, you know. Yeah. So if you're in a, in a single parent situation or if you're in a, a mixed marriage or if you're in some kind of dysfunctional household, you've got to just do what Monica did and that is pray, cry, and all the rest. But if you are blessed enough to find yourself in a Catholic family, look for other Catholic families. Yes. But don't just count on them. You know, I would also say, especially to dads, you know, pray together you know, as a family, if it's a rosary, you know, it, it took us years. We were doing after dinner decades. And then in the year of the rosary, we actually went to the whole rosary and discovered, hey, it isn't that hard, you know. Right. And we also do, you know, morning prayer and this sort of thing. And reading the gospels on a daily basis, just a little snippet, you know, with the church, lots of little things that you enjoy, I think end up transmitting the faith in a more contagious way than just shipping them off to a school or, you know, expecting them to memorize things. I think living it and enjoying it is going to transmit it. Could, could we uh, say a word or two about the context, uh, the setting in which all of this is, is meant to uh, unfold? Uh, I mean, at the heart of, of your prescription is joy. Uh, and it's not just an invitation uh, to be joyful. It's an obligation. We're enjoined by Christ to uh, put on joy. Yeah. And it's the most infallible sign of His presence. And people bereft of joy are probably bereft of belief. They have no faith. And, and you said something interesting, and then you uh, didn't enlarge upon it, and, and maybe we should, that it's not just unbelief or non-belief, it's disbelief. It's aggressive. Mm -hmm. It's hostile. It's it's highly articulate. Dis, it separates, it negates. 
I mean, in Roman mythology, Dis was the god of the underworld. Uh, his Greek counterpart was Pluto. This is the guy who presides over hell. Uh, and, and he's not on the side of life. And if you live your faith in the context of active, aggressive disbelief, where people are antithetical, not just indifferent uh, or, or tolerant, but they actively despise you, that sort of uh, ups the ante yeah, <laughs> just a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah. We have to recognize there's uh, this huge gap. If this is done well, if we evangelize, if we win people to Christ, they will be, uh, enter the path of sanctity and they'll start to pursue Christ and they become part of the solution. That's right. Conversely, if they don't, they move away, and just as you said, and become hostile. If you look at some of the primary movers in the cultural battle right now, they are fallen away Catholics, yeah. or even Catholics who think they're, they're not fallen away, but they're actually uh, have an agenda against the things right, of the church. Right. When we do this poorly, we raise up our enemies. I only want to highlight that we're supposed to love our enemies. Right. We're in fact not fighting against them, we're fighting for them. The goal is to win them back, right. uh, not to just beat them. But we recognize that it, if we do this poorly, we make things much more difficult. And we have a generation, probably two generations now of Catholics, who were poorly evangelized and poorly catechized. Yeah. That's the result of some very damaging effects, but we can address this just by simply returning to what it is to be Christian in its essence, and this will allow God's grace to flood back into our lives and into our culture. So the solution is before us, but the challenge is we should not put any kind of minimal aspects here. This is a big deal, and lies hang in the balance. That's right. You mentioned university campuses. I would argue they're one of the most dangerous places in our culture, right. yeah, right. along, unfortunately, with a womb yeah. that we have to recognize. A lot of people don't. They send their kids away thinking, oh, well, college will be fun. That's right. College is where the Catholic Church hemorrhages its memberships. That's right. Yeah. And that's why places like Franciscan are so important, because they're the exception to the rule. But there are 4,200 colleges in the United States, and very few of them are like Franciscan. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've got a lot of work to do out there. So if we, if we have the home where we really need to not just protect our children, but prepare them to go out, and they, they need that prayer, that, that constant witness, uh, and I, I just keep thinking as, um, as much as you quoted earlier, you know, pray in secret as Monica did, as, so the Father in secret here, I think it's important that our kids do see us, uh, you know, see us praying, Absolutely. see us witnessing, not only just as a family but individually, but, you know, what, what are some of the things that parents can do uh, to help their kids, particularly as they're going off to college? What can they kind of equip their kids with uh, to help them? Sure, and I would say I, I totally agree with you. In fact, we lived here for seven years, uh, down the street and across town, uh, both from Scott and, and Regis and their families. And this, this was a wonderful oasis for us as a young family, a beautiful mm -hmm. time for us to learn. So we were seeing their actions and, and blessed by them. But there were also many things going on that we didn't see yeah. at the heart of it. And yes, we want to pray in secret, but not so secretly that our children don't see <laughs> it. Right? And so that's so important. But I think uh, one of the things that Scott has, has said a number of times is that we need to be forewarned so that we can be forearmed. We need to have a plan. When we, do, when we enter into college without a plan, we are planning to fail. And so we have to recognize the challenge there. You should have an academic game plan. Or is this the right university to get the degree I want to get? We should have a financial game plan. People enter universities and leave with debt that is, is really immoral. Uh, yeah. They are enslaved right. when they leave rather than liberated. You're supposed to go to college to get a liberal education, and, but in reality, many leave as slaves. And then finally, you have to have a spiritual game plan. If you do not have a spiritual game plan, you will lose your faith. Statistically, it will be impossible for you to keep your faith. Uh, if, when you go to college without a plan. But by simply finding a school that has a strong Catholic identity, a great Newman Center, whatever, and making sure your children know them, you've raised them with a pattern of prayer, 
All of those things are articulated as important. That already sets you in the top quartile as far as being effective. But so many parents just haven't thought about it until after their children have graduated, are no longer practicing the faith, and they're thinking, uh, what do I do now? Well, it's a lot harder at that point in time right. to, to fix the problem. That's right. Prevention is much easier. That's right. That is right. I think reading is an important part of it, especially in our day and age where you have to have not less formation to withstand the culture, but far more. And, uh, you know, again, what we go back to what Pope Paul VI said that this evangelization in the modern world calls for personal witnesses, not just a didactic approach where you're teaching things to pupils. And I feel as though, you know, the, the more we find books that we enjoy, especially ones that we can turn around and share with our kids yeah. at whatever age. Last night I was talking to my 13-year-old David about screw tape letters, you know, and he began reading in the first couple of chapters. He's like, this is amazing, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, keep going, you know. And he's going to discover even more by C.S. Lewis or G.K. Chesterton. But I, I think what he's picked up on is this is something that you enjoy even more than some favorite TV series or some movie. And that's just, that's an infectious way to communicate the faith. That's it's right. A, that's really well, important. you know, uh, let, let's, we factor in a, a, a climate of, of hostile, aggressive secularism, uh, what, what my friend Fritz Wilhelmsen called the poetry of the transcendent. It has been dethroned, denied, savaged. But then you have to consider Islam. I mean, in this country alone, there are more Muslims than there are Presbyterians. And Presbyterianism used to be a kind of genteel uh, 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 force uh, against the faith. I mean, it made, it was the anti-Semitism of, of the intellectuals, anti-Catholicism. This is what it means to be an American. You, 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 look your, you look down your nose at Catholics because they're dirty, they have too many babies, and, and you erect all kinds of barriers against uh, the preferment that belongs to Catholics because they're citizens. We've overcome all of that. But now we're living in a post-Christian world, almost post-human, but in the midst of that, we have this aggressive force called Islam which is displacing everything. If they're not killing us, they're breeding us out of existence. They don't want to just marginalize us. They want to massacre us. How do we equip young people to cope with that menace? Well, it's the other blade of the scissor, uh, that secularism coming in, and then you've got Islam. And, and together, they will right. wreak havoc, unless yeah. we become who we were meant to be in yeah. Christ. And, yeah. and so as Weigel makes his argument in evangelical Catholicism, he says, osmosis Christianity doesn't work anymore. Right. The culture used to be conducive, it's now caustic. So yeah. now we have to articulate the faith, we have to be able to express it and invite people very explicitly and directly to encounter Jesus Christ, to make a decision to live for Him, yeah. to, as St. Ignatius says in, in his exercises, to choose the banner of Christ right. and live and yeah. die for Him. Right. And we do that, we become what we are. These other pretenders right. Disappear when light shows up. Darkness doesn't right. fight; right. it just is gone. You know, this is why family is at the center, That's and right. marriage particularly, because you know, if the debate is about gay marriage or the definition of marriage and that sort of thing, you know, I think part of the problem is that Christians in general and Catholics especially have been kind of accommodating the culture, and so it isn't permanent, it isn't exclusive, it isn't fruitful and open to life, it isn't fun and joyful. So when people have, well, you know, look, you have these same kind of we gotta, we gotta rediscover the sacramental grace and beauty of marriage. And then we'll be able to say with integrity, that's not what we mean by marriage. That's right. What we mean is a sacrament, a holy covenant. Yes. And so define the law as you please, but we're going to redefine our lives in terms of this sacramental grace. And I think that will end up being compelling. Yeah. And also too, if we're trying to talk about a father, a loving father, 
and people don't have an example of that in the home. I mean, yeah. there's ne it's never too late for a father to restart and to rebuild and to use that as the, the natural framework from which we can evangelize. I mean, there's, there's so much that we really can do, um, but, but it really does begin in the home. It sets the foundation for our kids, but, but even those who are out there, they, they, the St. Monica's, there's so many stories uh, of what we can do even with our kids gone. Uh, stay with us on Franciscan University Presents. The Evangelii Nuntiandi 41 says, people are more willing to listen to witnesses than teachers, and if teachers, it's only because they are witnesses. So the best thing I can do for them is show them that I am a Catholic, that I believe in this faith, that I'm gonna live this out in all things that I do. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy and you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash pilgrimages. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. Uh, this entire program springs forth from the very heart of Franciscan University. Uh, the, the whole show is taped right here in the uh, studios at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Our students are operating the camera and the equipment. Uh, the regular panelists as well as myself are all here at Franciscan University. Uh, Curtis, we've been talking about evangelization. You know it both uh, from an from a intellectual standpoint as a practical standpoint. We've talked about the family life. Uh, but now we want to talk about um, sharing faith in the workplace. I don't know if it's even still legal uh, in America to share faith in the workplace, but if it is, um, how do we begin and, and what does that look like? And even if it isn't, <laughs> we still need to. That's right. Uh, we're, we're told by the apostles, is it better for us to obey God or man? When man says you can't, we have to obey God. Uh, I'm, I'm somewhat scandalized at how few Catholics have lost their jobs in the last 20 years. Uh, <laughs> we actually need to be willing to do that. And so, so more should be losing. We, well, not necessarily, but they, <laughs> we should be like St. Thomas More, who did yeah. everything he could, exercise every aspect of his mental faculties to not get himself killed. But when finally it came down to loyalty to Jesus Christ or to an earthly king, he chose Christ and died. And I think we have to be willing to do that. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't put human laws that are in, in conflict with divine law as, as the issue. I think what we have to do is say, in every way that we can, we actually sat with students uh, last night at the university, yeah. dozens of students talking about this very issue. How are we gonna do this after we graduate? This is a question right. that the students here are asking. And I think all of us need to see. And do we see that whatever job we've taken, that it's actually a call by Almighty God to go in and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ in whatever way we're going, law, politics, medicine, education, our vocations as husbands and fathers and wives and husbands, priests, do I see that I'm actually called by Christ there? Yes, there's a reason I accepted the job, I like the salary package, whatever, but I'm but, going in. Do I see that about the parish I belong to? I'm here for a reason. When we have that sense of mission in our life, everything changes. You know, part of that mission in the work world, I think also has to be being the best lawyers, being the best doctors, yeah, being the, be, yeah. the best CPAs, without becoming the best workaholics, you know? So you balance family life, and you, and you end up accepting what you can't do because of the time limitations, you know? And you're gonna be surrounded by coworkers who are gonna appear in the short run more productive, but you can count on that. Right. The fact that they're gonna burn out, you know? 
But I think that, that, that excellence in work is such an important part of the gospel yeah. we share. Well, well, Curtis, early on, I think you seized upon that point that the laity are uniquely situated already. That's right. We're in the world. That's right. uh, it, it's just a matter of becoming what we are. Mm. Uh, Pope Francis, I, I think, before he was elected, uh, gave a speech in which he lamented what he described as theological narcissism, a, a church that is more or less self-preoccupied, self-absorbed. I think the laity are less tempted uh, by that malaise, but, but when you succumb to it, uh, then you no longer are on mission. You're not interested in expanding and, and penetrating the public life. Uh, you're you're, you're, you're sor sort of in a bunker. You're sealed up, hermetically sealed, and you can't bring Christ to anyone. That's something we have to overcome. That's right. I remember in Christe Fidelis Leci, uh, Blessed Pope John Paul II talked about the two challenges of the laity. One, that there's this separation of faith and life, and the other that, that uh, as, as faithful Catholics, they get too engaged in church affairs. Right. And what we're talking about is, is making sure we have a unity of faith and life, but we're actually actively engaged in the temporal affairs, our work, right. our parishes, whatever it might be, right there engaged in that. So. Paint a picture for me. What does it look like? I have a job. I'm out there working in the world. How do I share? How do I even begin that conversation? How do I begin sharing the gospel? And the models aren't all ready for us because uh, we frequently, as Catholics, can look over to the evangelicals and say, well, what are they doing? And a large portion of it may translate back in because they've done so much with, without all the sacraments, without all the teaching. Uh, but here is an area where we actually fall into a very different situation because evangelicals don't have the families. Uh, they're contracepting. And, and you, Catholic families actually are overwhelmed. You talk to a young Catholic family, I mean, you've yeah. been blessed with 10 children. Yeah. You're pretty busy at home. That's right. Uh, you don't have a whole lot of room That's for That's why I got activities. all these gray hairs. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and, and so you're looking at people who are very busy, and so how do you leverage a little bit of time? That's right. And there's a book out called The Four Signs of a, a Dynamic Catholic, and it, it asks two questions. Why are there so few dynamic Catholics who are really engaged? And then the second question I thought is very piercing and right on point. And what do the few do that actually irritate everybody else <laughs> and keep, uh, keep other people from coming? And that's okay. what we have to do is recognize there is a culture within Catholicism that is wonderful and amazing, but it takes some acclimation. And we don't have any modes of acclimation. So mm -hmm. you're either in or out. So we get people together and we talk to them and we immediately start using language they don't understand. We're mm -hmm. talking about the novenas and green scapulars and, and adoration. And they're like, I actually don't understand anything you just said. Yeah. Now we want them to understand everything we're talking about, but there needs to be an introduction process. I think about the example of a Wednesday audience. I remember going Pope John Paul II and it's like a rock concert, the amount of energy. Ah, oh, he's here, he's here. Within 10 minutes, people were asleep. Right. Because he started speaking Italian and nobody understands Italian. Mm -hmm. And when you speak a language people don't understand, you will put them to sleep. And so we as Catholics have to learn to speak, to translate the truths of our experience mm. as Catholics into a language men and women who aren't in the culture can understand so that we can welcome them yes. gradually back in. Right, if our mission is concentric, we will have that central core Absolutely. where novenas and green scapulars and rosaries are prayed and where people understand and appreciate all of that kind of thing. But I think the more strategically we, we, we situate ourselves, yeah. the more we're gonna recognize that when we step outside of that, we really have to find that common language that'll get right to the heart. I think we also have to be aware of the fact that there are persecutions without entering into a persecution complex. 
without bringing it on prematurely, yeah. but without being overly shocked when it does come. You know, we, we tend to view the early church as being nothing but persecutions when in fact the Neronian persecution in the 60s, Domitian in the 90s, the Emperor Trajan in the second century, the Diocletian in the third century, these were punctuations. But I mean, for the most part, Christians lived in a hostile culture, a culture of death that was anti-Christian, but the periods of persecution were rather intermittent. It was never safe just to come out, you know. But at the same time, I think what would happen, and Rodney Stark, when he was still an agnostic, describes this as a, as a sociological historian of religion in his book, The Rise of Christianity. You know, Christianity didn't spread because it was legalized. It was legalized because of how it spread. Right. And the way it spread for two and a half centuries was family to family, through friendship, in neighborhoods, in workplaces. And that's why I think the new evangelization can succeed against all odds, even if we face persecution, just like the old one did. Yeah. I look at the person of Jesus, though. I mean, he came, he left heaven uh, and, and came to us and spoke very little about his life in the beatific vision. <laughs> even though that was the most important, is the most important thing of all. But he spoke about our life here. And we don't meet people where they live. And we need to meet with mm -hmm. them and love them where they are. And the work of evangelization is sitting with people who use language we're not comfortable with and have habits that, we're, uh, that we, we are offended by. But we love them so much, we, we endure those temporarily to liberate them from it, as opposed to standing back and, and almost like the Pharisees are characterized, and, and sometimes in fact were, if I touch you, I'll get dirty, I'll right. become unclean. Yeah. No, Christians, when, when Christ touched people, they were healed. Yeah. Christians have that power to walk into a broken world and touch it and make it better. Yeah. Mm. We haven't been exercising that power. Is, is there a sense in which what you're uh, proposing is that we teach everybody Italian uh, so that <laughs> when the catechesis begins, we don't fall asleep? Uh, in, in that interview you did, uh, I, I, I read up about you, uh, Curtis. Uh, you, <laughs> you consented to an interview uh, with uh, our Sunday visitor, and you made a splendid point, uh, the analogy of the 15th century. If you lived back then, and if you were lucky enough to escape the plague, uh, you, the, the world was, was, was defined by the faith. Everything was Catholic. Uh, you were cocooned in this wonderful Catholic world. And it was the only show in town. I mean, there was nothing else to compete with it. The smells and the bells were everywhere. Nowadays, it's the most boring uh, show in town, and it can't possibly compete with all the sounds and colors of, uh, of this, this, this secular culture. So how do we smash that and restore this, this medieval unity? Um, or is that no longer possible? I mean, as a kind of salvage operation. I think we, we're circling on the same issue again and again. It's in the framework of friendship that this can yep. be done because there is an addiction to immediate gratification. Yeah. And the challenge is, is that there are sets of goods that make us happy at a very low level that provide immediate gratification. Right. Yeah. And there are other goods which require immediate postponement of right, gratification, right, yeah. but will eventually grant us the greatest of happiness. Yeah. And it's within the framework of friendship with people who are experiencing this. Why is my life like drinking salt water? I yeah. pursue and I pursue and I'm thirstier right. than I was when I started. Right. And it's only within friendship that you can sit back and say, let me show you a still better way. Right. And then you can gain that trust. But it has to happen in a life of joy. If you don't see joy, right. if my marriage isn't joyful, if it isn't right. fruitful, right. then I'm not going to be able to bake that case. In fruitfulness, some, mar some marriages are denied physical fruitfulness. That's God's will. That's fine. They can still bear abundant fruitfulness in the way right. that they love. Right. And there's many wonderful examples of that. But our lives should be different. And then in the midst of friendship, when we hit those moments when it's the salt water has just become overwhelming, 
Right. Then we can speak to people, and in the midst of their acknowledgement of bankruptcy, we can lead them to a better way. And, and, and during your talk last night, which is, uh, we're going to have that whole talk available on faithandreason.com, but you, you talked about how you were reached out to. You were really, it sounded like it was really the apostle of friendship. They didn't, they didn't push the gospel on you. They invited you out to play golf and went out to a, a play on football or, and just invited you in. So we got to use that friendship and not feel like the first moment we meet someone, we got to tell them about the, the beauty of the Catholic Church. No, I mean, the, the model is Jesus again. How did he change the world? He found 12 men and he went camping for three years. Right. I was just, <laughs> it, it, he right. seems to be so patient, almost, it's almost scandalous how patient he is. Like really, we've been waiting for millennia for you to save us. Yeah. Would you please get on with it? And yeah. he says, and after spending, living at home for 30 years, he finally begins a three-year public ministry. And then after 30 years at home and three years of ministry, he spends three hours on the cross to give us the power to be able to live like he did his entire life. Yeah. And we have to recognize the beauty of what he was doing before he died for us so we can appreciate how to make his death and his resurrection a reality in our life. But it was about right relationship mm, with yeah. him and our, our loved ones. That right relationships is the friendship. I love that language of the mm. apostolate of friendship because mm. on the one hand, we want to be the best doctors, the best accountants, the best lawyers. We also want to be the best husbands and fathers and sons and sons-in-law. But friendship is the bridge between those two worlds. So that people really feel at home with us and can experience that sort of spiritual brotherhood that really in initiates or invites them into the church where whatever family situation they had growing up or whatever they go home to after work, the, the church can be a home. The parish ought to have that family right. spirit. That's right. That's I a mean, huge part I mean, these of guys were life. struck by an experience. They had uh, an encounter with someone clearly exceptional, extraordinary, and, and they're so touched, they ask, well, where do you live? And he says, come follow me. And so they do. Yeah, and right. it's been going on for more than 20 centuries. And the bridge there, as Scott mentioned, it, friendship is it because my life has been defined by a friendship since my sophomore year in college, a friendship with Christ that flowed from an encounter with him. But I've been surrounded since then with friends who also have encountered Christ and they have, they're better than me. I know that. And they have, that's been the constant theme in my life and they've always inspired me to be better still. And saints come in clusters. They, it's very hard to become a saint by yourself. That's right. And so we tend to inspire one another to follow Christ, outdoing one another in charity. And it's in the, in the framework of that friendship, both with God and with one another, that the two great commandments are fulfilled. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbors yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it means to be a Catholic. That's why conversion takes place in community. That's, that's even right. apart from medieval civilization, you know, even apart from uh, American culture in the 1950s when Sheen is winning Emmys and that sort of thing, I think we have to recognize that, you know, apart from the Roman Empire being converted, you know, the Thomas Christians in India have never been a majority. And yet for 2,000 years, they haven't just survived, but they've thrived s precisely by forming really strong communities mm -hmm. that are minority groups. But I mean, when you're living there, you're experiencing so much joy. And likewise in China and parts of Japan as well. We have to study other models besides the, the Christianizing of medieval civilization. And directly, when we're together, we rejoice right. and then the arts flow. Yeah. And beauty mm. is the is a, along with joy is the other testimony that the world can't argue with. When we live together, beautiful things happen. Right. The arts, the poetry, and all of a sudden the world recognizes that we're not just speaking about Christ, we're singing about him. In the yeah. last few seconds here before the end of this segment, 
are there boundaries we shouldn't cross? Are there things that we shouldn't do as we are trying to go out and be an evangelist? Personal sin, that's it. Just everything you can possibly right. do yeah. and get out is deep and dark. We have to be so ready to get so muddy, so soiled with others' sins, mm. but never commit them ourselves. Because if we don't get into their worlds, we'll never be an evangelist. Yes. We've got to love God and be united every day in prayer with Him and love the world and be every day united with them and be that bridge, that pontiff between them. That's the work of the Christian and to be a, an evangelist. Oh, that's powerful. Uh, stay with us. You won't want to miss our last segment as we wrap up and give some key points on Franciscan University Presents. During this year of faith, our Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI asked us to spend time reflecting on the teachings of the Second Vatican Council and particularly the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Um, it's very important that we do that during this year of faith as we continue uh, to also understand and explore the new evangelization, something that's very important um, in the life of the church and has been the focus of at least the last two pontificates and hopefully Pope Francis will take that up as an as a interest as well. My name is Joseph Frelich. I'm a chemistry major, biology minor here at Franciscan University. I love the atmosphere. It's completely centered around the Catholic faith. When I play soccer, when I'm in classes, everything is, has that same Catholic attitude. Myself and a few other chemistry majors had the opportunity to work with top scientists in order to combat neglected diseases. I was able to connect my love for chemistry and also my love for mission work by synthesizing chemical compounds Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking about uh, the new evangelization and the witness of our life with uh, Curtis Martin. Uh, Regis, could you start us off with your high points of summary? Yeah, I suppose I could, but I don't want to. <laughs> uh, I'm so awed uh, and overshadowed by, by the company I'm keeping. Uh, Curtis, I've never seen you sit so tall in the saddle. It's really impressive uh, what you've done, this apostolate particularly to uh, university students. It's, it's extraordinary and I'm, I'm, it, it looks as if God is continuing to bless you and the work that you've begun for him. Uh, the question I, I think that haunts all of us is how did Jesus evangelize since we're supposed to imitate him? Uh, and, and, and the answer is sort of disarming. He didn't present a, a package or a, a platform, a program, a, a text. He didn't write a word. Uh, he simply presented himself. He offered himself. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he doesn't have to say it repeatedly because he incarnates it. He is the embodiment of the Logos, uh, uh, the enfleshment of God. Yeah, here is the horizon of eternity stepping into time. That, that's, that blows people away and people are drawn to him by that. Uh, and, and so the people that he speaks to, uh, even though they're, they're first century Palestinians, they are essentially no different from the, the folks that, that we encounter in 21st century uh, secularized America. They have a heart, uh, it beats, it vibrates with the same rhythms as anybody else. They have longings that we all share a common nature, a common point of origin, a common point of finality. And, and Jesus is the final Adam uh, in whose image the first Adam was made. And we're all children of Adam. So we've got something in common. It, it should be easy, I think, to evangelize. And I think you've hit upon uh, the method. It's, it's, it's friendship. It, it becomes a kind of contagion. People are drawn to people uh, who are uh, sort of uh, uh, 
together. They're integrated. They're of a piece, and they're happy. They, eat, they exude this joy uh, and this, in, this, this exuberance for life, and they ask themselves, how the hell can I be like this? What do I need to do? Where do I sign up? Well, just follow me because I'm following him, and we'll do the best we can. You've done pretty darn well. So thank you. Thanks. Scott? Yeah, I want to express my gratitude also to you for focus. And, you know, one of my kids has had an incredible experience as a focus missionary, and so I can just testify to its power, its effectiveness, and that sort of thing. But I also want to point to the same sort of, you know, idea of friendship, because that's honest and that's realistic. And that's the only way we can face this culture. Because, you know, when we look back at Jesus, we see eternal divine love incarnate come to earth, but to an evil and adulterous generation, not entirely unlike our own. And what happens? He's crucified, but he's resurrected. And he brings about a, a transformation. But it isn't like he just simply transformed that culture in spite of itself and made it utopia. No, it, 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 it collapsed in 70 AD and the, the, the temple and all the rest. And so that sort of realism helps us to recognize that we're pilgrims. And on the way home, we're going to gather as many prodigal sons and daughters who are just like us, you know, to get back to the Father's house. And if we can create you know, Catholic culture, great. If we have to settle for Catholic subculture, that's fine. But in the process, prayer, fasting, you know, and, and, and frequent the sacraments, but there are only two we can receive frequently, and that is the Eucharist and confession. So if we pray more and sin less and we confess, we're on the right road. The other thing too is family life, marriage especially, but raising those kids and, you know, letting them see our honesty, our weakness, and I think that point just comes back. And then the, the, the third point is work and friendship. You know, wherever God calls us into the world, we're there because God calls us. And God is using our friendships to reach people who might never know a parish priest to, you know, to visit and ask, sit down and ask questions with. So I just want to say, keep going with focus, because not only are the focus missionaries doing a great work, but when they quit and they go out back into the world, they're 10 times more effective as apostles and evangelizers. Please, God. It's making a big difference. Curtis. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for your kind words. Uh, You're both mentors to me uh, and have been for many years. And so your comments mean even more. So thank you for that. I think at the heart of the the gospel, we need to recognize the truth that Christ himself taught. He, He shares with us in his shortest of parables. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he hid. And for joy over it, he went and sold all that he had and he bought the field. And we as Catholics need to first of all, remember that it should be after the discovery that we start to sell everything. It's because of the treasure, not in search of the treasure, that we sell everything. Because it's when we discover the treasure first, encounter Christ first, then we have joy and all of a sudden our our faith makes sense. It's actually logical to sell everything you have uh, for the sake of the field once you know there's a treasure there. But the second part of that is to turn the parable around and realize the more profound truth, and that is that from Jesus' perspective, when he finds the treasure, he's found you. And for joy over you, he has sold everything that he has. Mm, And he's gone and bought that field. And it's the story of Christianity, not that we love Christ, but that Christ loved us and gave himself as a ransom for us. Mm. That exchange of life that he initiated, not us, is because he had looked into us and saw what he had created in the first place, marred and broken by sin, but still valuable and able to be redeemed and restored. And for that, he gave everything that he had. And the only appropriate response is to give all that we have in Thanksgiving. Mm, mm, That is powerful. Well, 
as, a, as somebody who, who spent time with you uh, as a student, uh, undergrad, and you in the graduate program, it is a joy to see what you're doing. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of the program. Thank you for what you're doing for the church uh, and really inspiring it. Um, if you liked what we heard today, um, this is a great book to really help you. Uh, I think that the, the analogy is, is that in the Catholic Church, we have a gold mine. Uh, right, uh, but but this is a flashlight. Um, understanding the scriptures. This is the real story of understanding the big picture of scriptures. This book is available for free. Uh, that's correct. I said for free. Uh, if you go to faithandreason.com um, or by contacting us, well, uh, Curtis has uh, generously focused is going to be giving this to uh, folks for free. So this is a great great tool for evangelization to go and understand the big picture of scripture, um, and, and that really tease off my, my summation points. I think when we look at it, uh, the first is knowledge of Christ. Uh, we need to know Jesus, and uh, knowing Him through the Scriptures is so, so powerful. Uh, ignorance of, of Christ, or ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ, as St. As Jerome said. And so we need to dive into prayer and understanding of the Scriptures. And uh, in our daily prayer, if it's five, ten minutes, take that time to be with him. Uh, if you don't know him, if you haven't had that encounter that you've heard Curtis talk about, in fact, we, that we've been sharing today, take time right now. Ask him to reveal himself to you in Scripture. Say, I, I want to see you in the Eucharist. Take that time. He will reveal himself to you. Make sure you have that encounter and you have it on a daily basis. Without that, you can't share what you don't have. And know that that knowledge isn't just a knowledge, but it, it flows into a love. And that love, the joy that we've just all been talking about, is something that is so infectious uh, that you can share with your children, uh, your children's children, your coworkers, your friends, your parish. It will change the world. And I love the quote that, that uh, Curtis mentioned a couple of times, St. Catherine of Siena, if you are who you are meant to be, you will set the world on fire. Our world needs to be set on fire. So, so know him and love him and share him profusely. Uh, I really think this is something that will change the world and this is the beginning of something really new. Um, this whole program, uh, Franciscan University Presents, uh, again comes from the mission of the university, which is forming the students who are going out to transform the world. And I want to invite you to be a part of that mission. Uh, maybe it is getting your degree here, like Curtis did, uh, learning from Regis or Scott here on campus or through our distance learning. Uh, perhaps it, it's coming to one of our summer conferences, uh, Defending the Faith, or so many other great conferences we have here over the summer, or joining us on our pilgrimages to holy, shri holy shrines and, and beautiful sites throughout the world with others of the faith. Um, as we look at this, uh, Faith and Reason is a new website that we launched as a university to be an evangelistic tool to give you all that you need to be evangelists in the world with videos, talks, and lectures. Thank you for watching Franciscan University Presents, and until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357.